Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. It's good to be uh, with you here. I, I, last week was kind of nice. We, I uh, had last weekend off, and um, it was really cool. I, I've been wanting to go to this church in Elgin. My, my favorite like, artist of all time, even outside like Christian, non-Christian, is Rich Mullins. Uh, he's a guy who died in the 90s. And he recorded his last album, which is like my favorite album. Uh, he just recorded on a boombox in a church in Elgin. And so for a very long time, I've been wanting to go to this church. And so last weekend, I was like, let's just do it. And so I went, my, my kids were up at, my wife and kids were up at camp. So I went up to this church and um, it was just, it was cool to be in the building. But I went to the service and there were just five people. I was one of five people in the service, which is sad and also extremely awkward. And then the, the preacher got up and did like this like prophecy thing. It was just very odd. So it got even more awkward. And then he looked at me and he's like, I can tell this man is having a hard time. Like, <laughs> so, they pray, so they prayed over me last weekend, so it's just, it's extra good to be with you this weekend. <laughs> um, so usually when somebody gets a, a tattoo, their first tattoo is usually in a place it's not seen, or, you know, like... Like some guys will get it like on their forearm. I got my 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 first one on my chest, so I could just hide it. You know, girls will get it like their ankle. If you ever notice, like Jordan's is on his hand, just like a big. His first one's like a big one on his hand. You ever wonder what the story is behind that? Uh, so last year, Jordan and I were were waiting for a flight, and we were in Israel. We, we'd spent a week in Israel, just kind of ex- exploring, and we were waiting for a flight. We're in Tel Aviv, and so we're flying back home, and we had a day to kill in Tel Aviv, and so we spent the day in this port city called Jaffa. It's one of the oldest port towns in the world, and it was just a great, great place to adventure. One of the most memorable days of, of my life. It was, like, it was a day that I will never forget, and I'm so glad that I got to spend it with Jordan, just like killing time, eating fish on the dock, finding little ancient pottery pieces in the sand, like just bumming, bumming around. And as we were walking around, we we went into this alley and we found this really cool barber shop in, in the alley. Now we didn't need a haircut, but the owner just looked really cool. And so we decided to just like hang out with him for a little bit. And as we were talking with the barber, at one point the barber had said, uh, my wife actually gives tattoos up in the attic of the barber shop. So you're like, well, that kind of sounds fun. Why, you know, why don't we, why don't we do this? So we started talking with the wife up in the attic and um, she's like, well, you know, what do you guys want to get? And we're like, well, probably something small because our flight leaves in, in four hours. And so probably something small. And, and then we're like, no, we should do our hands. So we started looking at like maybe what we should put on our hands. And Jordan had said to me, he's like, I really like this sparrow tattoo. What if it represented the Holy Spirit? I said, no, a dove represents the Holy Spirit. He's like, yeah, but what if I got a sparrow representing the Holy Spirit? Would you make fun of me? I said, absolutely, I'd make fun of you for the rest of your life. And so we, we, found, this, we found this like dove tattoo for, for him. And, and she had said, you know, it'd be about two hours for a tattoo. We thought, okay, two hours, that gives us two hours, you know, to get to our flight. We didn't know she meant two hours per person. So there we are, you know, in the attic. We weren't planning on getting tattoos uh, at all. And uh, we got, and he, the reason I do stupid things on the airplane to me, he was doing stupid things way before, way before he met me. But we, we were planning on getting tattoos from a stranger in an attic, but there we are right up until the time we, we raced through Tel Aviv to get to our flight. And uh, we did not make the brightest of decisions in Jaffa that day. But in our defense, 
3,000 years before us, there was a man who made an even worse decision in the little port town of Jaffa. He's one of the minor prophets, the most famous. His story has become like the classic children's story. Can you guess which prophet it is? Jonah. Today, we're going to take a fresh look at Jonah's story, and we're going to look at, at and, and discover some pieces to Jonah's story that are often left out when told to children's ears. And so Jonah might seem like a familiar guy to you, which is great, but I think we're going to hit some stuff that's like, ah, I didn't really know that about the story. So grab a Bible. We're going to do this together. Jonah chapter one is where we're going to be. Jonah one is page 774 in the Bibles and the chairs. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use phones and tablets. Uh, We have the Bridge app, and you can look up the Bible on there. But Jonah chapter one, we've been in the series Miners, looking at the minor prophets, right at the end of the Old Testament, there's like these, these several books, really 12 books that many people just kind of forget about. Um, because when you get into these books, they're a little bit confusing. Uh, the names are hard to pronounce. And so we'll look at some of the book names like Haggai. It's like, I don't even know how to say that. And so we'll just kind of skip over those books. So these are really the forgotten prophets. But as a church this summer, we're just carving out this time to be like, hey, let's look at these guys who are often forgotten about. And we've been seeing so much value in each of these books so far. Let me pray. We'll just jump right into this. God, we do thank you for your word. And even right now, God, I think all of us at some level in this room are are guilty of holding on to attitudes, not having as soft of hearts as we should have. Father, I ask that you break that down. As we come before your word, may we do so humbly, submitting ourselves to what you have to say. And may you break down any walls that we've built up, maybe even walls that we've had up for decades. But Father, we ask that you speak to us in a fresh way. We know you want to. We pray that we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms into Jonah chapter 1, we find ourselves far from Jaffa, actually in the hills near where Jesus Christ will grow up. See, tucked into the northern bluffs of Israel sits this little town called Get Hefer. And though surrounded by the beauty of hills within close proximity to the Sea of Galilee, this little town had very little to offer. I mean, historically, it was just a a no-name village, mainly made up of poor farmers. But today, one man is putting this town on the map. His name is Jonah, a prophet. And he's a rare prophet in that he has a great approval rating among the people. See, most prophets ruffle people's feathers. It's, it's their job to ruffle people's feathers. But Jonah's messages were rare in that his messages were very optimistic. Because of God, Jonah was able to forecast Israel's military wins. And so Jonah is this positive prophet. People, unlike most prophets, people really like him. His approval rating is far above any other. He's well-liked. But with favorable popularity comes this challenge. Because when people like you, it's hard not to become a people pleaser. People like you, and can you really risk the reputation to say things that people don't want to hear? The fundamental job of a prophet is you must say hard things. Something that Jonah hasn't really had to do yet. And it's this very idea that keeps Jonah awake tonight in his little hill town. And Jonah blogs this in verse 1. Or verse two, actually, verse, let's look at verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here's verse two. This is God saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, there are several things wrong with this. If you're in Jonah's shoes, you hear this, several things wrong with this. First off, Nineveh isn't even a Jewish city. It's pagan Gentiles. 
It's like, so God, why do we care about Nineveh? They're not part of your people. They're not part of your plan. Like, what does it matter? None of our concern. Second problem with this is, is Nineveh is not even close to Israel. We're talking 700 mile distance here. That's a solid two months worth of traveling. So why does God want me to leave his people to waste my time with those people over there? Traveling isn't fun. Like even today, we don't like traveling today, do we? Right? And today we, we board a jet airliner with food and movies and we sit for 12 hours and we, we take a nap. And we still find that hard. I do. A buddy of mine called me last week. So he's a German pastor and he loves the bridge. It's so cool. He, uh, he, he preaches our sermons at his church and they do a lot of the similar things that we do at our church. He's kind of adopted over there in, in Berlin. And so it's almost like we have a bridge Berlin going on, um, which, is, which is really cool. And so he called me. Uh, we're not like an affil- affiliated, but just friends. And, and he called me and uh, he has something going on this fall. So he's like, hey, Junior, could you come to Berlin, to our church this fall? We're gonna do something, which is so sweet. But in my head as he's inviting me, I'm like, I don't wanna go. I don't wanna travel there. Like airports are the worst. I'm too tall for an airplane. There's probably no new movies on the plane. The food sucks. Like, plus it's a nine hour flight, man. I don't, you know, and, and that, that's sitting for nine hours. Jonah's asked to walk for two months with the danger of being jumped every step. I wouldn't wanna go. Then third, to add to all of that, Nineveh isn't anywhere any of us would want to go. It's not a vacation destination or an enjoyable trip by, by any means. Now, sure, Nineveh had its sightseeing. It, it was the biggest urban development in the world at this point. Nineveh had uh, parks. It had gardens. It even had a zoo. But don't let the beauty of Nineveh deceive you. This twisted city has a cruel reputation for torturing anyone who crossed them. And they were very creative in their torture. Like just the name Nineveh was a reminder of how depraved people can be. I honestly don't feel comfortable telling you some of the things Nineveh would do to the people. Like nail people to boards and then slowly filleting them, slicing them little by little. And that was like the nicest thing. Out of the torturing methods, I think I would have chose that one because it was just far worse. The things they would do, I would struggle to even tell my buddies. Like sewing people together as crowds would watch for sport. Just like heinous, heinous, heinous crimes. And I say this because I think we can be too hard on Jonah. Can't we? Like, I remember hearing this story as a kid, you know, my teacher telling me the story of Jonah. And I just remember thinking like, oh, the guy's a coward running away from what God told him to do. But then you look at the context, you're like, okay, I can't really blame the guy. Because we're talking about a two-month trip to really a death sentence. Go tell a bunch of people who love torturing people who disagree with them. Go tell them something they don't want to hear. This is his assignment. But Jonah, verse three, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. This is Jaffa. This is that port city that you can go to today. In fact, if you were to go to Jaffa today, it's really cool. About 20 yards off the beach, you can still see piers that are 3,000 years old, uh, which would have been around the time where the docks that Jonah would have walked. It's just cool that, you know, they still have that. Um, and, And it says, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So the location of Tarshish is debated today. Many scholars debate about where Tarshish was, but most scholars actually believe that Tarshish was Western Spain. It was the furthest west that you could go in the known world at, at this time. So you imagine this, God tells Jonah, hey, go east, young man, you know, go, or, you know, go east. He goes west. So first he heads down to, he heads down to Jaffa, which is near modern day um, Gaza, buys a ticket to go to the most Western part of the known world. He's thinking, I'm not getting tortured for sport. Spain's nice this time of year. Jonah goes the opposite way, the most opposite way that, that he can. And here's where I want to take a time out. We still got more of the story, but here's where I really want to take a time out. 
many of us are doing the exact same thing as Jonah. Many of us are living thinking, if I can just get as far away from blank, if I can get as far away from this marriage, if I can get as far away from this city, if I can get as far away from this situation, I want out of this responsibility, I want out of serving, I want out of this commitment, I want out of this heart, heart conversation, if I can just get the furthest I can get away from liberals, if I can just get the furthest I can get away from conservatives, if I can just get the furthest I can get away from lost people. Many of us are living our life like Jonah. I just want to get away from the very thing God is calling me to. What is it for you? Is it a marriage? Is it a job? Is it a person? And maybe you're physically there. You know, you're physically in this marriage or you're physically with the in-laws, physically, you know, in that location, physically at my desk, but your heart is really in Tarshish. Your heart isn't there. See, many of us are Jonah and Jaffa. We're avoiding that which God is calling us to. God is calling me to serve. God is calling me to have this conversation. God is calling me to bless this. God is calling me to, you know, to press into community more. God is calling me to humble myself. God is calling me to apologize. God is calling me to do the hard thing, to engage in this difficult conversation. God is calling me to lead, but my heart is not in it. My heart's on the run. Running from the very thing that God is calling you to. What is your Nineveh? Because I guarantee you have one. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have a Nineveh because this is what God does with his people. He calls them to tough situations to be light. He calls them to difficult conversations. He calls them to hard places. What's your Nineveh? Is it a marriage? Is it family leadership? Is it an in-law situation? Is it a place to serve? Is it an opportunity to give? Is it a person to bless? You have a Nineveh. What's your Nineveh? Well, Jonah sails off from beautiful Jaffa and even non-church goers. You know, we, we know what happens in the text next, right? It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, so likely Mediterranean Sea, and, and there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break apart. Now, whenever I read, like whenever I get into this part of Jonah, especially even this last week when I was like preparing for this message, I get into this part of Jonah, I immediately think of hearing this, you know, through my Sunday school teacher's voice, right? Like this feels like a kid's story. Like when I picture Jonah, I picture it with flannel graph. Anybody remember flannel graph? Remember these? Like if you went to church, like you, you, you grew up with like flannel graphics. So I, I think of, you know, Jonah through the, I remember at my teacher, her name was Edna. She's an old lady. She was such a nice lady. She's very old. So I just remember like her, like her wrinkled hands, you know, putting the little characters up, you know, like a little bow. And then there's like the whale underneath that was ready to chomp down on the naughty prophet. And, and I just, I think of this verse through like kids' eyes. A lot of us, a lot of us often do. But this actually happened. This actually happened. So I want you to imagine the scene. I want you to feel the terror. Like they're out there in the middle of the sea on this ancient little dinghy. The sky is darkening. The wind whips up, spraying salt water in your face. Waves are breaking over the sides of the boat. The, the, the boat is creaking as it goes up another swell and then cracking as it, as it smacks down. Like close to breaking point, seasoned sailors are scurrying around to repair what could be their coffin. Like this is terrifying. And there's this little truth that's lodged right here in verses four and five that so often we skip right over. Jonah's decision, like ours, to avoid what God has for him affects those around him. 
Jonah's cowardice hurts those around him. So often we just skip right over that because it's like, oh, we're just like, we get lost in the narrative and it's a beautiful narrative. And we, we miss this truth. Jonah's decision to avoid hurts those around him. And the same is happening in your life somewhere. If you were to honestly reflect, there are people that are close to you who are hurting simply because you're avoiding what God is calling you to do. Maybe God's put a lost person in your path and you know you should be sharing what God means to you, but you've been avoiding that conversation and they're hurting because of it. I can't tell you how many adults that I've, I've talked with who have said things like, you know, Junior, my childhood family life would have been so much better if my dad would have actually stepped up and led. But he avoided it my whole childhood and, and it affected me. A lot of bosses, maybe your boss is like this, dodge necessary conversations within the office and the office culture becomes very toxic. The whole office suffers because the boss isn't doing what the boss should do. They're avoiding necessary conversations. This happens in offices, it happens in homes, it happens in churches, it happens in small groups, it happens in, in friendships. There's something that God calls us to. And when we fail to do what God is leading us to, we hurt those around us. And the scary part is we often fail to see it. Or we fail to realize just how many people we're hurting by not doing what he's called us to do. See, the truth is, we all have a Nineveh. And with that Nineveh, we have people who are hurting because we're avoiding our Nineveh. What is it for you? So that little ship is breaking apart. Get back to the story. Ship's breaking apart. The whole crew, they get together and they're like, this is weird. Like the weather's weird. This is obviously like the gods are mad at us or something because it doesn't make sense. So let's all draw, you know, let's, let's draw lots to figure out who's at fault for this. Jonah loses the game. Jonah confesses. He's tossed overboard. This is where we get to verse 17. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, this is where Bible readers can get poked fun at a bit, right? It's like, do you actually, do we actually believe this? Like, I have good friends, and they razz me about this very story. Like, Junior believes in a book that talks about a fish swallowing a guy, and Junior actually thinks that happened. Yeah. Some people, some people can't take the heat, though, and so what we call, like, uh, we call liberal theology will look at this, and they'll say, okay, well, this didn't actually happen. This is an allegory. The whole book is a metaphor. It didn't really take place. It was just made up but it was, a, it was used as an illustration for God's people. So a lot of people will say, that's just wrong. And the biggest problem with that whole idea is Jesus himself believed this happened. And sure, I could, you know, I could spend a bunch of time unpacking the, the legitimacy of this happening. Like it wasn't too long ago. I don't know if you heard about this. It wasn't too long ago. A lobster diver was swallowed by a whale and they actually found him alive. Swallowed at 45 feet deep and later on the whale spit him up. It was a wild story. And so, you know, we can sit here, we can talk about, you know, the legitimacy of this ha happening, you know, and how it could happen. And then people will debate and, and they get like really into this. You ever see people debate about this? They get really into it, like, was it a fish or was it a whale? Like, you know, was it like a fish, like a big grouper or was it like a whale? And, 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 and here it says fish, not whale. But then when Jesus talks about it in Matthew, in our English translation, whale is used. And so people get really into this debate. Was it a fish like in Jonah or was it a whale? Like what Jesus talks about. Problem with that is, is there's no Hebrew or Greek word differentiating sea mammal from sea fish at this time. It was just called sea creature in both Hebrew, which is Jonah was written in, and Greek, which is what Matthew was written. But either way, it's just like a weird debate to me. Like people want to debate, was it a fish or was it a whale? I, was like, I don't care. I don't care if it was an orca or a grouper or an oversized Nemo. Just, I really don't care. 
don't care at all. It's still wild. It's still a miracle. Like, that's kind of the point to the story. And a lot of times those debates, then they can be fun debates. I'm not saying they're wrong debates. They can actually, though, distract us from something better. And I don't want to miss the something better here. And so instead of talking about whether a fish or whale or, you know, whatever, I don't want to talk about that. Let's, let's table that for a second. And let's talk about something going on here that most people miss. And, it, and it's a shame because what's going on here is beautiful and, in my opinion, so B.A., but we just miss it. One of, the, one of the main gods of Nineveh was this guy called Dagon. Now, if you look closely at the depiction of Dagon, you'll notice something, right? It looks like a man fish, like half fish, half man. And some say it looks like a fish uh, spitting out a man. I love God's humor because this is absolutely brilliant. While people in Nineveh are bowing down to a god of a fish spitting out a man, Jonah, a prophet of God, is treading water being swallowed by a fish who will then spit him out. It's not just ironic comedy, it's a message. In a sense, God is saying, hey, Nineveh, I see you worshiping something ridiculous, a fish man. Let me speak your language for a second and totally blow your little minds. While you worship a fake God of a fish spitting out a man, I'm gonna save you through a real man being spit out by a real fish. Your God is a joke, he's a fake, but I'm gonna use your imagery and I'm gonna use your language to draw you to me, the real God. Like God is up to something so far cooler than anyone can imagine. But for right now in the text, it just kind of seems like a hard to believe tragedy. You have like the storm and a fish swallowing a preacher. It's like a great story for, to teach little kids, right? Hey, don't disobey God or a fish is going to eat you. <laughs> That's what my daughter said a lot yesterday. We, I gotta tell you this. So um, my, my favorite day of the week is Sunday and it starts on Saturday night because we, we have like, we, we call it Sabbath. And so we had like a Sabbath meal last night and then we just kind of enjoy each other as a family and then we'll do, you know, we'll enjoy each other as a family uh, this afternoon as well. But Saturday morning, we usually spend the day doing like chores and, you know, little house projects, things like that. And uh, I was gone yesterday morning, but my wife had like the girls all dusting and all that and, and, and cleaning. And, and then I got home and we kind of had this like little break between the chores and going to church for worship. And so I was sitting with the girls in the living room and the girls were asking me like, hey dad, what are you preaching on this weekend? I said, oh, I'm preaching on Jonah. And my middle daughter, who's like a girl version of me, she goes, dad, I could preach that. I was like, I said, I bet you could, baby. I bet you, why don't you do that? In fact, we'll all sit here in the living room and you preach us a message about Jonah. She's like, all right, fine. So she got up in the living room and she starts preaching on Jonah and like tells the whole story of what happened and all that. I said, that's great. You told the story. You need to preach it now. Well, like what was the point to the, the whole story? And she said, well, the point of the story is, is don't disobey God. You get eaten by fish. Like, <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. But God is up to something greater than that whole idea that we hear as kids. He's speaking Nineveh's language. It's beautiful imagery here, but there, there's more. Uh, verse 17, it says that Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days. So, um, you know, Three days, that is actually prophetic for Jesus being in the belly of the earth for three days. Jesus himself will point that out. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days. And so, so Jonah is prophesying Jesus here. In fact, this is so cool. Many early Christians identified their faith through a, a Jonah symbol. You ever see the fish that we put on cars? Maybe you have it on your car, like the little fish kind of symbolizing this is a Christian car. Maybe you have it. I don't have it on my car. I should, but I, my driving isn't there yet. We'll get there. <laughs> Sanctification, and then I'll put it on. But um, for many early believers, they use that symbol. It's a great symbol, the fish. But 
it was a little different in that they would put a man in the belly of the fish, symbolizing Jonah, but also symbolizing Jesus buried but resurrecting. I'm kind of on a tangent. Sorry, I just love this kind of stuff because most of my tattoos are early Christian graffiti. But I, I, they, they recently found a burial site of an early believer from around 50 AD to 180. So it's very possible that this person who's buried here saw Jesus in flesh. And they looked on the ossuary of this, of this believer and on the ossuary was this carved right here. And archeologists were astounded because it's a, it's a Christian symbol of a fish spitting out a man symbolizing Jesus's resurrection. So early Christians loved this story because Jesus loved this story. And so three days here is, three days is uh, prophetic, but also three days here, it also took three days for God to do what he wanted to do. Change Jonah's heart. You ever need some time to just kind of change your own heart or change your own attitude? Last week, I was picking, we had to pick up our girls from camp. It was uh, Thursday morning. And we had to pick up our girls from camp. And uh, we, you know, we didn't have the older two. And I was really looking forward to this morning because we were going to leave at 8 a.m., but I was going to go ride the trails and the forest reserves on my bike. And I was going to get back and then Nicole go for a run. I was like, oh, it's going to be a perfect morning. Get a workout in, get some coffee, and drive up to camp. It'll be great. I got this flat tire while I was driving the forest reserve. And so I had to walk my bike back and it ruined the whole day for me. You know, walk back, I'm kind of upset, not kind of, I'm so annoyed. I get in the truck, you know, ready to go up to camp, have a coffee and Nicole noticed that I'm just like, I'm in a terrible mood. And so she told my youngest, I'm glad she did. She's like, we're just gonna leave daddy alone for an hour while he drives so that he can just change his heart. I needed that time, right? I think we, all of us have been there. This is, this is what's going on in the belly of the fish. Jonah needs three days. And so he spends chapter two, Changing his heart, chapter two is all about his repentance. He's repenting in the belly of the fish. He's like, all right, you're God. I'm disobeying. I'll obey. I'm yours. I'll go. I'm done. It's kind of a half, half surrender, which we'll get to that in a little bit, but he is repenting. And so Jonah, as he's repenting in the fish, God is bringing him closer to land, basically saying, okay, I'm bringing you back. We're going to do this again. And you're going to go where I tell you this time. This is what I do with my kids. Nicole and I, we have this rule in our home that we will, we will not lose to our kids, especially like when they're little, you know, and they're cute and they're, they're easy to let win. We just won't let them lose. And so all three of my kids, they just know this. They, they will not win against mommy, mommy and daddy. And so when they were little, I, I used to like, you know, tell them to pick up their toys. Hey, pick up your toys. And they would walk away. And I'd pick up the kids and put them right back in the middle of their toys. Like, no, you're going to pick up these toys before you, before you walk away. You are dealing with this mess. This is exactly what God is doing with Jonah. He's like, no, I'm going to put you right back here and you're going you're gonna to do what I tell you this time. And this is what God does with us. Like maybe if you were to reflect for a while, you'd probably realize, yeah, God keeps bringing me back to this person. I try to avoid them, but they just keep popping up in my life. I'm trying to avoid the situation at work, but it just keeps popping up. I keep on trying to avoid this issue, this conversation in our marriage, but it just keeps popping up. What is that? God keeps bringing you back to it and you keep avoiding it. And I get it. I know a fish probably isn't gonna swallow you for it, but come on, that, that Nineveh situation that you've been avoiding the area in your life that you've been refusing to submit and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that conversation you need to have or that, that counseling you need to get into. It's not leading. It's that apology you need to make. You've been avoiding that and ever since you haven't been you, have you? Yeah, you're not getting eaten by a fish, but it's eating you. Just kind of feel eaten up by that situation. Part of you feels like a coward. Part of you struggles to connect with God ever since you started avoiding that thing. And part of you struggles to feel excitement because you know you're not you. So sure, yeah, you haven't been eaten by a fish, but you've been slowly eaten by guilt. 
You've been consumed by this attitude. You've been consumed by this low view of self because you're not doing what you know you should be doing. And the more you avoid it, the more you're consumed by it. Some people are just hollow shells of the people that God created them to be because they've just been avoiding that which God is bringing them to. And maybe even in this moment right here, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. That little thing that you've been avoiding, that little conversation, it's, it's not something little that you've been brushing off. This is not okay. But just like Jonah, even in that dark place, years of avoiding, God is still inviting you back to him. It's not too late. Repentance starts now. And that's what Jonah does. So chapter two, he repents. And, and it's Jonah's repentance that actually leads to Nineveh's revival. We're gonna to get to Nineveh's revival in a second, but I just wanna define re- revival and what that means because there's some confusion today over what revival is. You ever hear of revival? My school growing up used to have revival meetings where they would um, bring in a help fire brimstone preacher and, and everyone beforehand would like pray for a revival, you know, that the nation would turn back to God, uh, you know, in big ways. And, and that's so good. Like, yeah, we, we need that, absolutely. And so what would usually happen though every year is they'd bring in this like really fiery preacher who'd come in and you'd preach on hell for a week straight. And then all my friends who were already Christians would get so scared they would become Christians again. They would get saved again. And then like after the end of the week, you know, everyone would say like, hey, revival, that was awesome. Great intentions were like, was that, is that odd? Like, was that really, is that really revival? Then I went to Bible college, great Bible college. I had friends, they were great friends, really good people, great hearts, and they would invite me to revivals that they were trying to start. They'd be like, Junior, you wanna come to this revival on Friday night that we're gonna start? And I'd always be confused, like, how do you put a revival on the calendar? I don't think that works. Like, what do you mean by, how are you gonna start? Well, what is this? I said, well, on Friday night, we're gonna like pray and we're gonna play some music and uh, it'll be like an emotional event and maybe a little spark revival. Great, again, great intentions. But here's the thing, true legitimate revival always starts with repentance. That's where it starts. When people confess their sin, often dirty sin openly and turn from it, that's where, that's where revival is. It starts with repentance. It's not so much this emotional postable party that everybody talks about as much as, as it is this humble gathering where sin is brought to light. And that's exactly what happens in Nineveh. Jonah repents, and then the revival starts, mostly repents, we'll get to that in just a second, mostly repents. The revival starts in him, but then in chapter three, Jonah's repentance leads to Nineveh's revival. Look at verse five of chapter three. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The very next verse, it says, the king gets off his throne and onto his knees. So it's this massive, massive movement in the world's most evil city. When I read the book of Jonah, this is more unbelievable to me than a fish swallowing a man. Nineveh praying to God is like ISIS starting a church planning network. Like it's just like, it's unreal what God is doing. And you'd think that like Jonah's jaw would just drop. Oh, this is awesome. Look how God used little me and look what's happening. But instead he gets mopey and whiny as if his tire popped in the forest preserve. He wanted fireworks. Travel all this way to a people he doesn't like. I want to see the fire and the brimstone. Came all this way. Let's see some explosions. Yet God gives mercy. And that's not as fun to watch. Mercy. I wanted the boom. They've been our enemies for so long. Reminds me of the other day, I, I took our girls up to camp. Nicole was working. I was like, yeah, we got a day. So like take the girls up to camp. And um, and there was one night I was making a, a fire. And I let the girls just like run in the woods. And so they're running through the woods and there's a part of the woods that they call Narnia. 
they like to play like Narnia. And so every once in a while I'll be sitting by the fire and I'll hear, for Narnia! It's like weird homeschoolers. And, and apparently a big fight broke out, broke out in Narnia. And so uh, one of my daughters, a protector identity, she's my middle child. We'll call her Nora. She, uh, she comes back to my fire from the woods, from Narnia in this huff. And she's like, oh, well, my sister, she did this. And, and she got mad and threatened me with a stick. It's like, all right, well, threat with the stick. That sounds like my youngest. So we'll call in my youngest, you know, call my youngest. And it's like, did you threaten your sister with a stick? And her head fell, you know, she started to cry. She apologized immediately. And the other sister was ready for the justice. She was standing, she was like, what are you gonna do, dad? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You gonna, you gonna spank her? You gonna like ground her? You gonna kick her out of camp? What are you gonna do? It's like, I'll be dad. All right, you be sister, you be gracious, you be forgiving, and I'll handle the rest. And this one was upset. Cause like, oh, that's not as fun as watching dad punish her. And that's exactly what's happening here with Jonah. And, and, and to be fair, like, this isn't just like a fun end of the book, like, you know, oh, Jonah gets upset. No, Jonah's real issue is revealed at the end of the book. It wasn't just that Jonah was a coward, though he was, didn't want to say anything hard to people who were, who were difficult. Again, I don't blame him, but like, it wasn't just that he was a coward running from a hard conversation. It was that he had a heart problem. He disliked the very people that God had called him to. And so we can, you know, sit here and throw shade at Jonah and we do that. You know, how, how can you be mad that God gave him grace? But the fact of the matter is, we have the same exact problem. God has called us to people. He's called us to situations, coworkers, in-laws, neighbors, communities. God puts us in their life for a reason. And as we get our feet wet, it's like, all right, well, that coworker is frustrating and those in-laws are impossible and those neighbors are inconsiderate. And so just like Jonah, we decide I don't like them. And so I'm just gonna avoid the very people that God's calling me to. Come on, at some level, we're all Jonah, aren't we? We have a Nineveh that we're avoiding and there's people who are hurting because we're avoiding our Nineveh and we have the wrong heart toward that situation. We're Jonah, aren't we? Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. We got two lessons from the minor prophet. Here we go. Number one, God's calling is greater than your feelings. This is what we get from Jonah. God's calling is greater than your feelings. And, and I know it's a big thing today. It's such a big thing. You know, follow your heart. And I'll, I'll go to a lot of churches. It feels like most churches are doing this now. But like, I'll go to some churches, like the whole sermon is like, follow your heart, follow your heart. You know, trust your feelings is a big thing we'll tell kids. That just trust your gut, trust your feelings. Oh, that's a load of crap. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Our hearts will lead us to Tarshish every time. Jonah followed his heart. Jonah did what he felt. Meanwhile, God is chasing him down, screaming, no, my calling matters more than your feelings. And God is saying the same thing to you. I know you're avoiding this, but I've called you to it. And so you're just gonna need to push through your feelings and into my calling. It, it, it really is, to me, it's, it's, it's as black and white as this. It boils down to like, you're gonna follow your heart or follow Jesus. You're gonna follow your heart, or you're gonna follow Jesus. And for me, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't always do what he felt like. Because if he did, I don't know if we'd have salvation. If you think about it, like the, the night before the cross, you remember the story, Jesus in the garden, he's pleading with the father and he pleads to God, can you take this cup of suffering from me? I don't wanna do what, I, I don't wanna do this. And it was God's will that he be crushed. Jesus certainly didn't feel like going to the cross, but God's calling mattered more than his feeling. And I'm so glad he pushed through that. Are you pushing through that? Because there is someone there's a situation, there's a conversation, there's an opportunity to sacrifice, there's a place to serve, there's 
There's a place to be humbled. There's a, a person to be loved. And you know that God has called you to it and he's convicted you about it and he has placed you there. And it's the last person you feel like blessing. It's the last thing you feel like doing. And it really does boil down to, are you gonna choose what you feel or are you gonna choose your calling? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna choose what you feel or are you gonna choose your calling? And here's the beauty in all of this. If you choose your calling, your feelings will follow. It's part of living and like trusting God. It's like, all right, God, I'm gonna do what I don't feel like, but I'm gonna trust you that my feelings will end up following. I really do believe that happens. It's happened with me. Like, I'll be candid with you. This stays right here, right? I don't spread anything. Um, <laughs> I can be too easily annoyed sometimes. And I've been working on that for years. But years ago, there was someone I struggled with and I had my reasons for why I struggled. And again, this was years ago, but I had my reasons for why I struggled with this person. And, um, and if you were to hear the reasons, you'd be like, okay, well, those are understandable reasons. And there was a situation coming up where I was gonna be in close proximity with them for like a couple of days. And I was like, I need to get out of this. Can I get? And I tried to get out of it. I, I could not get out of it. I was gonna spend a few days with this person. And so I figured going in, this is like, all right, you know, I'm just gonna bite the bullet here. You know, I'll be with them. But like Jonah, you know, I, I, was, gonna, I was gonna have an attitude about it. Uh, I was going to be there, but my heart was going to be there. So I was just going to be, you know, more quiet. And I was going to try to avoid, even though I couldn't avoid the situation, I'll just try to avoid them within the situation. And I felt conviction about my attitude going into this, mainly through my wife telling me to stop being a baby. So I, I changed my tune. And I'm, I hate to be the hero of the story because usually I'm the villain to myself. But I decided for like those few days, those few dreaded days coming up that I was just going to do my best to like really bless this person, like go out of my way to just really be a blessing, like be like encouraging to them, speak very highly of them. I went out and bought them something. I was like, I'm gonna like take an interest in them. I'm gonna make them feel like a hundred bucks when they, when they hang out with me these, these few days. I'm gonna be their biggest cheerleader. It was the last thing my hard heart wanted to do. But I'll tell you what, before the end of our time together, my feelings were in it. I wanted this person to win. Like their idiosyncrasies and their selfishness, it didn't grate on me as much. My feelings ended up following. Now, had I followed my feelings, would have been a terrible few days. I said this to my daughters the other day. They were, there was like a kid bullying them and they were you know, moping and, and being upset about you know, having to spend time with them. They were dreading it. And, and I did the whole like dad talk of like, hey, you stand up for yourself with grace, all of that. But I also told them like, just decide to love them though like take an interest in them, bless them, decide going into this, I'm just gonna bless that person. The time's gonna go away faster. Our job is to follow his calling and lead our feelings, not the other way around. And too often we try to live the other way around. I'm gonna do what I feel, but I'm gonna drag God with me and make him co-sign on whatever I feel like. And some of what is wrong with our relationships, some of what's wrong with our careers is that we're following our feelings. No, no, no. We follow God's calling and we trust him that our feelings will then follow that. But we don't get to pick our assignments. That's God's job. Our job isn't to pick and choose who we love and who we bless, all of that. No, our job is to follow his calling and we lead our feelings. The second lesson we get from Jonah is often our biggest problem with our Nineveh is our attitude toward it. In the book of Jonah, God wanted to fix two problems. Sinful Nineveh, and his prophet's heart. And surprisingly enough, sinful Nineveh was fixed before the prophet's heart was fully fixed. A driving problem throughout this book of Jonah is Jonah's attitude. He half surrenders in the fish, but then his real issue is revealed later on in the book. 
In the same way, a driving problem throughout my life and your life is our attitude. It's really not the work drama that you dread. And it's really not the the in-law competition that's ticking you off. And it's really not the marriage struggles that are just like killing you. It's our attitude toward those things. And once we can change that, everything then begins to change. The first step toward your Nineveh is changing your heart. Easier said than done, absolutely. But that's the first step. Because the reality is, is God could work in your marriage. God could do something amazing in your marriage. God could do something amazing in your family. God could do something amazing in your office. God could change the heart of your in-laws. Now you don't believe that, but it's true. God could change the heart of your in-laws. God could spark something in your community in Chicago. God could heal your Nineveh, but you're not gonna see it. You won't even love it if your heart isn't right. Case in point, Jonah. The first step toward your Nineveh is addressing your heart. And as one of your pastors, if I were to be completely candid with you, it's this right here where I struggle the most. It's this right here where there's times where I'm just like, I don't know, I don't want to be a pastor. It'll be something else. Maybe because I'm controlling, but like this is like, this is where I struggle the most because I can't do this for you. Last week, I was at our family camp and we had a blast. Our family camp was awesome. We have another one later this summer. Hopefully you can be there. But like that week was awesome. We were, you know, fishing and sitting by fires. It was just really good for my family and many other families. And I was the speaker for family camp. And and the first day um, we were gathered in like the, you know, the chapel. And we had this talk on having vision for your families. That so many families are like operating with no vision. And and what's a family without vision? Like what's what's a business without having vision about the product? What's a family without having vision about what you're trying to produce from your home? And so we had this, we sparked some conversation. You know, what, what's, okay, you have family values, great, but like, what are you going after as a family? And the last part of the session, we all gathered up as families throughout the room and we just kind of talked through this stuff. And it felt weird at first because for a lot of people, having meaningful conversations as a family is very foreign. You don't really do that as a family. So it was very weird at first. But many families, they really push through that. And they had really good moments as a family where they talked through some, some really necessary things. And I was getting texts from families just being like, that was like amazing. That night was amazing for, for our family. That night after the session, I was sitting around a fire with Jordan and a few other staff, you know, kind of talking through the session. And, and I mentioned how bothered I was to see some families not participate. Most did. Most were gathered around the room, circled up, talking through like their family vision. But I noticed like some dads like just sit there with their arms crossed and just stared at me for 10 minutes while everybody was gathered up talking. They're just standing, sitting there looking at me and their family's sitting in the the row. And, and, And it wasn't like ticking me off. I'm not judging them. But at the same time, it's like, I know the dynamics of your family are unhealthy. I know that but they're just, you're not gonna do anything about it. They're just going to avoid the conversation. They're going to avoid their Nineveh. And it was frustrating for me. But then I realized like, I could give a 20 point sermon in that moment. Here's how to fix your family issues. Do this, this, and this. Here's how to make your marriage better. Do this, this, and this. I could have had a tear jerking story at the end. It just wouldn't matter because I couldn't make those guys care. I can't make people, I wish I could. We run parenting classes. We run like marriage classes and, and many will come and they'll, they'll like, they'll revamp their marriage and, and they'll revamp, you know, their parenting and, and they bring in a new culture into their home. And it's so awesome to, to watch what happens. But like so many people just don't care. Don't even care to go. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. I don't judge them for that. The problem is like later on crisis hits. Now, now suddenly now they care. And it's like, okay, well, we're late to the game here. 
you didn't care for the last 10 years, now we got a lot to figure out. And some people, they, they come to church, they've been coming here to the bridge for years, and sometimes it's like, I, I don't know why, maybe to check off like the, the church box, like you, you come to church for years, but like nothing changes. It's, it's still the same dead marriage. It's still the same powerless career. It's still the same unhealthy relationships. They're the same person they were years before. There's no changes. There's no growth. And they're still avoiding the very same thing that they were avoiding five years before. And I look at that, it's like, because I love them, it kills me. It legit keeps me awake at night. It's like, I, I can't make them care. That like God has so much more for them, but they just don't care enough to take it. And I really hate to end this way. I really do. But like, I, I guess it just boils, this whole, this whole book boils down to, are you going to leave with this hard heart again? Are you going to finally surrender it fully? Few care about God's calling. Most don't. But I tell you what, the ones who will care about God's calling, it's not because we're like extra holy. It's because we understand we were Nineveh. We were Nineveh. We were and are hard to deal with. And we walked away from God and we rightly deserve hell. And we let God down over and over and over and over. And we understand that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had every right to be annoyed with you. He'd be annoyed with me. He had every right to be angry with us and leave us. Yet we were the joy set before him. He pushed through his feelings and passionately pursued us. He made us his Nineveh. He made us, his Nineveh, his joy. And we're invited to pick up our cross and do the same. To make those situations that God has called us to, to make those situations our joy. And that looks exactly like what we don't feel like doing. It looks like loving that person. It looks like working on that relationship. It looks like humbly submitting. It looks like having a hard conversation. It looks like stepping up and leading. It looks like serving. But like this is it. It is what it is to follow Jesus. This is what it is. And some will take the invite. Tragically, most won't. But for some in here, avoiding our Nineveh stops now. And it begins with surrendering your heart. And so what are you gonna do? That's really our so what. We always take time at the end of the service, like God speaks through his word. This isn't just like a cute kid's story. It is, but like it's, it's far more than that. The reality is, is many of us are living like Jonah. So what are we going to do? What changes? And there's two questions I want to throw your way. I've gone far over time, so hit these quick. But what's your Nineveh? I already asked you that. But like, what is your Nineveh? And the reality is, is maybe the last, for the last 30 minutes, many of us have just been fighting off what our Nineveh is because we don't want to admit that's what it is. That's what God is calling me to. It's what I don't want to do. And you know God is calling you to it. But what's your Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? Is it a conversation? Is it an apology? Is it submitting? Is it leading? What is it for you? And the bigger question from this is, do you care? First off, do you care about what God is calling you to? Do you care about that person? Because God does. Do you care about that situation? But more than that, do you care that God is calling you to it? I mean, maybe you don't feel like going there. Maybe you don't feel a love for them. But the reality is, do you care enough that God is calling you to? And can you do what Jesus did for the joy set before? 
I'm just going to make this my joy. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to make it my joy, and I'm going to trust him that my feelings will follow if I follow his call. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.